Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. Madrid is a city of joy and life. It has elegant boulevards, expansive and manicured parks, and rich repositories of European art. Madrid is the capital of Spain and reflects the historic grandeur of the Spanish Empire. And it's home to the Spanish royal family as well as the Spanish government. It's a modern metropolitan city and an economical industrial center of Spain. And with a population of nearly 3.5 million people, it's also Spain's biggest city. Our guests are David Paul Appel and Jose Boleto, both are longtime Spain experts and U.S. expats for over two years, and they love their city. Welcome, David and Jose. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Let me just ask you, what's it like being expats, and why did you choose Madrid? Both of our connections to Madrid and both to Spain, actually, go back many years. I spent a year abroad in Barcelona studying last year in high school. And that's when my love affair with Spain sort of really got started. And uh, Madrid has been a favorite city of mine since then as well. So when uh, we visited here many times, visited throughout Spain many times, and we were looking for a way to get over here and found it in at the end of 2019. At the beginning of 2020, we finally made the move. And here we are. Jose goes back even farther. Yes, we made the move in 2020 just in time for the pandemic. It was great. Uh, <laughs> right. So my, my roots in Madrid go back to 1967. Uh, my father and I came here when we left Cuba. I was five years old, spent four months here, and that's when my love affair with Madrid started. I knew then that it was a great city and that one day I wanted to live here. Excellent. Can you give us some history of Madrid and the Spanish Empire? Well, Madrid is actually... Not one of the oldest cities in Spain. It, it was founded in um, in the 16th century when the kingdoms of Castile, Leon, and Aragon came together. The king at the time decided to move the capital to a small town called Madrid, which used to be the Moorish Mahrit. It was founded by the uh, Moors, the Arabs. They came up from North Africa in the 700s and ruled a lot of the Iberian Peninsula. So once the king's court moved here, they started building like mad. Most of the architecture dates from that period onward. Nothing medieval. So you get a lot of Baroque, Rococo, Renaissance, and the 19th century, Belle Epoque. Well, Madrid is often compared to the capital of the region of Catalan, Barcelona. How would you compare the two cities? It's a little bit apples and oranges. Barcelona is on the sea, but more of a Mediterranean outlook. It has, say, more historical monuments and a diversity of architecture than Madrid. Madrid is a landlocked city on the Castilian Plain, very dry, newer than Barcelona. Barcelona has uh, buildings going back to Roman times, so it's, it's a very old city. It's a very beautiful and grand and almost Parisian-feeling city with boulevards and Art Nouveau architecture that blows your mind away and fabulous food. Uh, well, Madrid also has fabulous food, but the, the architecture in Barcelona is very exuberant, I would say. 
Yeah, I think I think Madrid has wonderful architecture too. I I know I took a bus tour and I was surprised by the mix of the Baroque and some of the wonderful modern things. The stadium, for example, is a beautiful example mm -hmm. of contemporary architecture. So there's a mix in Madrid that is surprising around, especially around the Plaza Mayor. Is some beautiful, yes. beautiful architecture. Now, there are numerous museums and art galleries, but the big three are the Prado, the Reina Sofia, and the Tyson Bornemessa. All are located in the area known as the Golden Triangle of Art. Tell us about the Prado Museum. Well, the Prado, of course, is the big national art museum founded in uh, 1819. It has one of the world's great collections of European art from the 12th to the early 20th century. A lot of that is Spanish, of course. You'll find some of the great masters like Goya and Greco and Velazquez, but you also have others from Italy, France, and the Netherlands. I have a wonderful memory. Way back, there was a an actor who played a gangster named Ed G. Robinson. He goes way, way back to the old B-movies of the oh, yeah. 40s, 50s, and 60s, and so forth, and that was the first celebrity I think I ever saw. And he was staring at an El Greco painting. And I thought, <laughs> what's this hoodlum? What is he staring at this painting for? Because I thought of him as a gangster. And it was a shock because it was real life. And I remember that. It's a very interesting memory of Madrid. How about the Guernica in the Reina Sofia Museum? Tell us about the painting Guernica. Guernica is one of Picasso's masterpieces and one of his largest paintings. It's the star of the Reina Sofia. The Reina Sofia was founded in 1990 and named after the then Queen of Spain, devoted to 20th and some 21st century art, mostly Spanish. Salvador Dali is big, and the Guernica is the star of the show. It has its own room. It's almost the size of, a, of an entire wall. And it's a black and white, very, very stark, chilling, stunning rendition of the horrors of war based on the bombing during the Spanish Civil War in 1937, of a Basque town. So they were, Picasso was so moved and upset by this that he devoted the better part of a year to producing this art. And it was in the Museum of the Modern, the MoMA in New York City for many years until it was brought back to Spain in, I believe, the 80s, after Franco's death, obviously, and is now at the Reina Sofia. I remember seeing it at MoMA in New York. I remember someone telling me it's the most famous and most gruesome anti-war painting in history. Hmm. Anyway, my oh, favorite yeah. museum is the Tyson. How about that? Tell, tell us a little bit about that little museum. It's nearby the Prado, Tyson. Yeah. Right. That is also fairly recent, 1992. Show, and it showcases works from the uh, world's second largest private art collection, German-Hungarian industrialist named Baron Hans Tyson Bornemisa. And the reason it's in Spain is because he married Miss Spain 1961. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Interesting. A lot of it is uh, not Spanish. It ranges from the medieval to the 20th century. It comes a lot from Europe and the U.S. even, especially strong in the 19th century yeah. impressions. It's got a wonderful broad collection. It's a, it's a surprise oh, yes, to many yeah. people. Well, after that, you might want to have some lunch or some dinner. Tell me a little bit about Spanish cuisine. Madrileños love to eat. No matter how bad they say the economy is, that you have 25% unemployment, that you have 50% unemployment among youth, bars and restaurants are always packed, no matter the night of the week. It's, it's quite impressive. They're especially fond of 
like the inexpensive old tiny kind of tapas bars, as well as some newer variations on tapas. And I think we don't need to explain what tapas are because at this point, everybody knows. I had a wonderful all... bean and sausage stew. Is it Cosido? Is that the name of it? Cosido Madrileño, yes. Yeah, we were going to mention good. that. That's a very local. The, the bean and sausage stews are found all over Spain for the most part, but the cocido madrileño is, is a local speciality. And there's also uh, some less savory, the acquired taste, shall we say, and we've got one called callos a la madrileña, which is basically beef tripe, i.e. stomach. <laughs> well, not really Chorizo. stomach. It's even worse. <laughs> Chorizo sausage and, and blood sausage. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if that if you grew up, if that's home cooking for you, it's great. But if not, it takes a little getting used to. Well, there's wonderful ham, I know. And there was a yes. very good fried eggplant I had with honey. It was cut like potato chips. And I, I haven't seen that anywhere else. What is that called? I think that's called berenjenas a la miel. We've had it plenty. And it's very delicious. Of course, the hams of Spain are probably among the top hams in the world. The serrano and especially the jamón ibérico de bellota, which is made from a special breed of pig that is fed a diet primarily consisting of acorns. And the the ham actually takes on a nutty kind of taste that is unlike anything you've ever had. Yeah, the black label ham especially. I think if you yes, splurge exactly. for that, it's, it's expensive, but a splurge on that is worth it. It's beyond expensive. Well, I will tell you, it's so worth a splurge that my... A uh, vegetarian sister and her wife were coming in October are thinking of breaking their vegetarianism just for that. For that. <laughs> well, I, I can understand it for that once, right? Now, are the rules still that you don't eat lunch before 1 p.m. and you don't eat dinner before 9 p.m.? Is that still true? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not hard and fast rules, but that's the general custom, let's say. You must be hungry. Uh, <laughs> well, let us, let us say that after two and a half years, our stomachs still are hungry at 6 p.m. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, for lunch around 12. So the way around that, if, if we're not planning dinner with friends, which then it has to be at the local time, like 9 p.m., what we do is we go to ethnic restaurants around 6 p.m., like Chinese and others will be open ah. you know, for dinner at any time. I didn't realize but, that. Okay, that's a and good way. And the way that Spaniards themselves kind of make it through long stretch without as well is what they have what they call meriendas which are sort of like they'll sit down and they'll have a tapa they'll have a, a slice of tortilla a spanish potato omelet calamares uh, fried and they'll just have a little something to get them through to uh, to the late dinner spaniards will have so many meals a day they'll have breakfast when they get up which will be like coffee and a piece of toast or something then they'll have a an almuerzo, which is like a light snack or something around 11 or noon, so they can tie themselves over to lunch at 2 p.m. Then around 6 p.m. they'll have the merienda, so they can tie themselves over to dinner at 9 or 10 p.m. They eat all day. <laughs> They're eating all day, essentially. And yet most of them are not bad, although fast food and junk food are, you're, you're seeing rising levels of obesity here as well, unfortunately. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I did wonder always how you man- managed to eat so late, but now I know you're eating all day. So that's, well, that's there's, all there's day. also another secret that we've discovered, that the reason they have to eat that late is because if you turn a stove on at 6 p.m., you die. It's so hot. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Is there still yeah. a siesta? Is that still oh, a tradition? Yes, when they, when they can, they do. Yes. I stayed in a hotel near the Neptune Fountain by the Prado so that I could walk to the museums and to the Botanical Garden, El Parque de Buen Retiro. It's the most famous park in Madrid. Retiro was 
originally a royal hangout, I guess, a stage for garden plays, concerts, and it's a breath of fresh air. And it's convenient because you can take day trips from there. The buses come there and you can visit some of the smaller cities. There are so many places to visit outside of Madrid. In an hour or so, you can get to mountains and historical towns and royal palaces of the Castile region. I'd like to talk about three that are special, I thought, and I'd like to get your take on it. One is El Escorial. Tell us about that. Right. Escorial is north of Madrid, about 40, 50 minutes by by car or by train or by bus. And there are basically two things there. The town is home to a ginormous monastery slash palace that was built in the late 16th century for King Philip the second, and he was very monastic in his outlook. So the complex is extremely austere. It's and, immense. And it takes, I know that. When the first yeah. time I saw it, I couldn't believe it. It was so yeah, huge. And absolutely. it's filled with art. It's just filled with art. So it's and a, and it takes a minimum of two hours to walk yourself through. So you have to really pace yourself and bring good walking shoes. But it's one of those places that's so atmospheric. I mean, it's it's so gloomy and dark and Castilian in a way that you really feel like you're transported to another century when you're walking through it. It's a fabulous experience because of that and because of all the artwork, as you say, but it does have that power that it's it's one of the places that really transports you to another time. Well, and another not to miss UNESCO site is not far south of Madrid. It's the medieval hilltop city of Toledo. Very special. What makes it special? Toledo is special. It's, it's perched on a hill above the Tagus River, which loops around it. And it's a very famous view of Toledo from the, by the painter El Greco, who lived and worked there. It was also the uh, ancient city, dates back to almost the beginning of the uh, first millennium. It was the first to be conquered by the Moors in 711, among their first, and they were there for 375 years. And what made it special at that time is that it was a place of harmony and tolerance between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. And it, it became known for learning, for religious tolerance. And that's actually, by, by the way, where the term, the phrase, Holy Toledo comes from. Oh, not Ohio? No, not Ohio. <laughs> not Batman. Right. Holy Toledo was because the, the ability for the uh, faith to coexist together. When you go there, I know you feel that. You see mosques, you see synagogues, you see these convents and narrow stone paved streets. I really recommend if you only have a couple of days to not miss Toledo. What about Segovia? That was, I kind of think, at the top of our list. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, Segovia is a pretty easy train ride from Madrid. It's just over an hour and you can walk it in the better part of the day. And it's famous for three amazing landmarks is the aqueduct. There's a Roman aqueduct that's been standing there. It's like a three or four tiers high of arches, stones placed without any mortar. And it's been standing there without collapsing for 2,000 years. It blows the mind. It was actually in use to bring water to the city until not that long ago, at some point in the mid 20th century, I believe. So it's just an incredible work of ancient engineering. And it's, I mean, you just have to see it to believe it. There's also the massive Alcazar Palace, the palace dates back to the 11th or 12th century. It was used by King Ferdinand and Isabella. And most interestingly to Americans, no doubt, is the fact that it was used by Walt Disney as one of the models for Cinderella's castle. It's full of spires and turrets and 
you know, battlements and everything. Craggy, it's just very imposing. Yeah. Recently, for the first time, we actually went inside, self-guided walking tour inside. It is more spectacular than I thought. It has rooms that really blow you away. It's, it's again, very Castilian, very historic, and, and definitely worth spending the time to, to do the walkthrough. And the third and very impressive uh, place not to miss is the 16th century cathedral, which was one of the last in Europe to be built in the Gothic style. Very atmospheric, as you would expect. And apart from all that, I would add that just the city itself, it's small, but it's so lively and happy that you walk around the streets and, and you can't downtown, you know, where all the shops are and all the restaurants, you can't but feel good. It's one of those cities that just lifts your skirts. Sounds wonderful. Are there any other favorites that we shouldn't miss? Any one or two that you want to add to our list? I would uh, like to say, uh, talk about Avila, because Avila is in Castilla-Leon, and it's also very close to uh, Madrid. It's about an hour and a half west. And what's cool about Avila is that the old town is entirely encircled by medieval Romanesque walls uh, begun in the 11th century. And it looks like something out of a fairy tale or something out of a a medieval fantasy. So you go there and it's, again, it's a lot of churches and convents. One of its uh, most famous associations is with a nun from the 16th century named St. Teresa of Avila was known for her ecstatic visions and ecstasies, including one where she supposedly visited hell. So she she became quite famous for that. What did she describe it as? Oh, it was hot. It was hot. Okay. <laughs> We've got that already. Yeah. Maybe it was a hot flash. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, th- and there's a little museum to her, which also includes what is said to be her mummified finger. Okay. Yes. It's hmm, can't yes. miss that. All yeah. right. One thing to keep in mind about Europe and Spain is that they have these high-speed trains, like nothing that we have in the States. So that actually places that you might not think are day trips can be day trips. And I would say that one not to miss if you have enough days would be Cordoba, which is an hour and a half by high-speed train, a lovely high-speed luxury train experience. And Cordoba has possibly one of the world's greatest mosques, which is now a cathedral, of course, but the architecture and it's sublimely beautiful. I, I don't yeah, it's, it's several it. layers of architecture from, again, these different cultures and different religions and yes, actually, like, part of it is from the Visigoths, from the 3rd yeah. or 4th century AD. But the interior blows you away because it's a sea of columns, red striped columns. And, and arches, the Moorish. Yeah. And then right in the middle of all that, they carved out a little the typical bombastic Catholic cathedral space. Yeah, so. I think one of the pleasures of Madrid is the central location. It sounds, yeah. as we're talking, that you can get to many wonderful places in an hour, an hour and a half, two hours maybe. And that's one of the best parts of Madrid, that you can do that. You have a wonderful city and you have these other exceptional places to visit. So the more time you can give, I think, the better, because it's not just the city. It's also the, the outskirts. Well, the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So, David and Jose, would you please each give us a special travel memory of Madrid? Jose, do you want to go first? I was here when my family left Cuba in 1967. Franco was in power at the time, dictator Francisco Franco. It was a very different city. And yet to me, a small child coming out of communist Cuba, it it seemed wonderful because there was all kinds of candy and ham and wonderful things to eat and that, that we didn't get in Cuba at the time. I remember things like there were the serenos, which were these gentlemen who stood on the corners at night 
with a big bunch of keys dangling off their pant loop. And if you came in after a certain hour back to your building, you would have to clap your hands and they would come and open the door for you. And these are things that even young Spaniards don't remember. You know, because what they were doing actually was they were also kind of keeping an eye on the population. It was part of being a police state. Right. But these were generally like retired police or whatever who took these jobs to open the doors at night and also to provide assistance if war mugged or whatever, which I don't think happened very much. But it's just a very interesting memory of a world that no longer is and yet is still Madrid. Fabulous memory. Thank you for that. Okay, David. Mine is a lot more recent. I have a lot of uh, nice memories associated with Madrid, but the most dramatic perhaps occurred in January of 2021 when the city was buried under the biggest snowstorm in a century. And it was called Filomena, three and a half feet of snow. And normally Madrid gets a few flakes here and there. They don't even stick. Oh, look, a little, you know, a little flurry. How exotic. But this sort of threw everyone into a tizzy. It was fun for the first couple of days. People were sledding and skiing down the streets. Snowball fights. Snowball fights. (laughs) Epic snowball fights across Grandia, you know, between the kids. (laughs) And you really had to watch out. And most importantly, it was the first time our doggy saw snow. Because he was a Florida dog, <laughs> so did you like it? At first, he wouldn't go outside, and then, but then when he went outside and found that he could run off leash because there were no cars, he was running up and down the snow like an Olympic skier. Well, he didn't have to shovel it, so he probably exactly. yeah, really. Well, anyway, it's a very interesting memory. I, I guess it tells us maybe we shouldn't necessarily visit in winter. Some somewhere <laughs> in the shoulder season might be safest. It may be the last time something like this occurs. I think we're safest in the fall and the spring, generally speaking. And that's truly when it's the most pleasant to visit. Thank you very much, David Paula Pell and Jose Bolito. You chose to move overseas from the United States to live in the vibrant, historic city of Madrid. I hope the rest of us are lucky enough to at least visit there. Thanks. Well, you're always welcome. You're always welcome. And in the meantime, we'll see you in Miami soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, places I remember, and keep making your own travel memories. <laughs>